All right, welcome to the Scrivener podcast. My name is uh, Ben Forrest. I am your host. I am a blogger, a journalist, an author. Uh, you can find my work at benforestwriter.com. There are two R's in Forrest. Um, I like to say I'm Scottish, so we roll the R, uh, two R's in Forrest. And you can find me on Twitter at Scrivener, uh, and that's at S-C-R-I-B-E-N, like my name, and then ER at the end. Uh, so this is a bit of an experiment for me. Um, I've never done a podcast before, and uh, I'm not much of a talker, so uh, we'll see how this goes. But uh, my goal here is to deliver you um, some of the same content that, that you'll find on my blog um, in audio form. So if, if you don't have time to read, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that you'll, you'll listen to the podcast and um, try to make this as compelling as we can for you. So uh, today uh, we're doing, uh, we're talking about five books that have changed my life and could change yours too. Um, so this is based on a, a blog post that dropped today at benforestwriter.com. Um, so here we go. Uh, okay. So if you're compelled to write, it likely, it's likely in part because you love to read. Many of us writers have been poring over poring over books since we were kids, escaping into novels and, and delving into stories from history or philosophy or science. There are some exceptions to that rule, of course, but Stephen King's bluntness about the importance of reading often holds true. If you don't have time to read, he said, you don't have the, tool, the time or the tools to write. Simple as that. Most writers have a long list of books that have changed their lives. These are books that rescue them from loneliness or change the way they perceive the world and themselves. And here's, a, here's, here's my list. Let me know what you think in the comments. And yeah, here we go. Uh, number one, The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. This novel resonated deeply with me when I was a teenager growing up in rural Ontario, just as it has with millions of other readers since it first hit the market in 1951. To me, this, the story simply rings true. Holden Caulfield, the pro protagonist and narrator, thought the way that I thought when I was 15 years old and I encountered this book for the first time. He spoke the way that I spoke. He went off on tangents and he didn't conform. And he hated anything that was phony. He also had the courage to say things that I couldn't say. As I struggled to figure out who I was and where I fit in the world, Caulfield spoke to me in a way that no other literary character ever had or ever has since. Holden articulated my adolescent Holden articulated my adolescent experience perfectly, and while it was a relatively privileged experience, it certainly wasn't easy. And this book, The Catcher in the Rye, was a lifeline for me. Uh, book number two is A Prayer for Owen Meany by John Irving. Um, this was the, one of the first novels that I read for fun uh, while I was in high school. Um, it was toward the end, and I had given up on English class. Um, I wasn't uh, a big fan of my teacher, <laughs> and uh, so I kind of backed away, and um, I decided I was never going to study English again, but I still wanted to be a writer, and I, I didn't want to give up on reading. And so I, I found this book, um, A Prayer for Owen Meany, through um, recommendation by um, a couple of friends. And it's very accessible. It's, um, 
it's literature, it's, it's literary fiction, uh, but it's not boring, it's not cumbersome, um, and that's, that was a sharp contrast uh, to a lot of the stuff that we, we read in school. Um, so this was a book that changed my perception of what literature was and what it could be. Um, it was also an exploration, exploration of the, the Christian faith um, that provided an exp a perspective that I did not hear in church. Um, and I have nothing against the church that I grew up in, but um, I had some serious doubts about uh, what I was, had been taught as, as a kid um, about religion, um, a lot of, a lot of the, the big questions in life. And um, so this was kind of a, a way of uh, thinking outside the box. Uh, starting to think for myself and, and decide what I what I believe in and um, what makes sense to me. Um, this was also the book that made me uh, someone who read for fun. And I hadn't been that way since I was probably 11 or 12 years old. Um, reading was always something that I'd done in school. Um, so I, I rediscovered my love of, of reading and of literature in general. And so I'm grateful to uh, John Irving for that. Uh, book number three is Obasan by Joy Kagawa. Um, so not long after the bombing of Pearl Harbor in 1941, uh, about 90% of the Japanese Canadians living in British Columbia were uprooted and sent to inter internment camps. Uh, they, were in they, they were interned until the end of the war in 1945. And in the meantime, uh, the Canadian government sold off their homes, uh, sold their businesses. Um, and for, for I, I don't remember that ever coming up in history class. We might have mentioned it or touched on it um, briefly, but um, it was a story that I wasn't really familiar with. And I discovered it mainly through this novel. Um, it's beautifully written. It's based on uh, Joy Kagawa's own um, experiences. And this was sort of um, my first sort of hint uh, of the... Th there's a lot of ugliness in Canadian history, and I wasn't really aware of it uh, until I, I read this novel. And um, I ended up getting a degree in history, um, so um, fairly decent understanding of uh, some of the, the other uh, horrible things that have happened in Canadian history and how we sort of uh, tried to sanitize it um, in a lot of ways. And, Anyway, uh, I love the book. Uh, Joy Kigawa uh, is the author, and the title is Obasan. Uh, book number four is A Million Miles in a Thousand Years by Donald Miller. Uh, so I read this book when I was on vacation in my late 20s, and I didn't like it very much. Um, Miller is a, a very influential writer, especially in evangelical Christian circles. Uh, very influential uh, he writes sort of confessional, memoir-style uh, stuff, and he's, he's a brilliant storyteller. But I've always found that his, uh, his arguments are a little bit off-base, and I, I don't think that his logic always holds together, but he's so good with words that it's, it's really engaging. Um, almost whatever he, he writes, I, I'm willing to... I guess at the time I was willing to read um, because he's so good at it. Um, so again, you don't go to Donald Miller if you're looking for wisdom, uh, if you're looking for uh, advice on how to live your life. I don't think uh, that the argument in this book is is, is all that compelling. Um, it's about sort of 
living your life as if it were a story and uh, trying to create the best story that you possibly can. And obviously, you know, you, you can live a great story uh, that's tragic or that, that doesn't turn out um, in, in a good way. And so I think um, Miller has uh, good intentions. Um, and I think his argument makes a certain kind of sense, but it doesn't really hold up completely. But again, he's a he's a very strong story writer, a very strong writer. He's got a, a great sense of story, and he uh, he really does write beautifully. Um, okay, uh, book number five is Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs. Uh, the subtitle is A Low Culture Manifesto, and the author is Chuck Klosterman. Uh, so this is a book of essays uh, about pop culture, basically. Uh, a lot of stuff from the 90s when I was sort of uh, going through high school. I didn't encounter this um, book until after university. Um, but it's a, it's a book of clo- uh, of, es- of essays. Sorry, can't talk here today. Um, or ever. Uh, and it, this is the only book of Chuck Klosterman's that I would recommend if, if you're just kind of starting out with his work. Uh, a lot of his stuff is kind of exasperating. It's... Um, it can be very abstruse, so very hard to follow, very hard to un- understand. Um, but this is a really accessible, um, fun, you know, light read. Um, he writes about everything from um, breakfast cereal to uh, Guns and Roses and um, Saved by the Bell. And if you're a person of a certain age, you, you remember, remember uh, all those things. Anyway, so he's he's funny, he's smart, uh, very strong, and this was another, as was the case with Donald Miller. When I read um, Chuck Klosterman, I thought, you know what, I can do this. I can, you know, write funny essays about pop culture, and I haven't done that <laughs> so far, really. Um, but I'm I'm a huge fan um, of Klosterman's work, and if you're at all interested in in cultural essays. Um, you, uh, give it give it a shot. It's uh, it definitely is a low culture manifesto. He doesn't uh, have any pretensions um, toward high end literature, but uh, great storyteller. Um, and he sort of uh, he's sort of the opposite uh, to Don, Donald Miller um, for me in in some ways because um, Klosterman really um, he really ties himself in knots trying to. Uh, uh, make sure that his argument is airtight, and he doesn't always succeed, but uh, he does his best. Whew. Okay, so that was fun. Uh, that is the list. Uh, that's the end of podcast number one, season one, episode one. I'm not sure how many, how often we'll do this, but uh, thank you very much for joining me. Um, I'm going to pass it over to you. Um, what are the, uh, some of the books that have changed your life? Uh, what are some of the books that have been meaningful to you that have helped you through difficult times or have helped you see yourself uh, in different ways or uh, helped you see the world in different ways? Uh, you can leave a comment below. Uh, you can find me at benforestwriter.com and there are two R's in Forest because we are Scottish. I am Scottish and we rule the R. So that's benforestwriter.com and you can follow me on tr- Twitter at Scribner. Uh, thank you very much again. Uh, this has been the Scribner podcast. Over and out.